All right. This is our fifth lesson on financial stewardship, and this is the first of two lessons on austerity. And uh, hopefully you know that word or you recognize it in the news this week is a big protest in Europe over austerity measures. Doesn't that surprise you that people want to protest over the government saying we need to cut back? Greek just about melted down a couple years ago over austerity measures. And what that means is they want to tighten up their spending so that they wouldn't bankrupt themselves as a nation. And so people in London, people all over Europe really have been pro protesting on and off the last three, four, five years because the governments are recognizing we have destroyed ourselves and we should probably stop. And the young generation, it's always the young generation, beginning with the hippies who are now old and now even my, the younger than my generation, the millennials, they always protest because they don't want to be mature. So they say, shame on you government for wanting to be responsible. You owe us. And that's the world's philosophy towards austerity. That is not ours as a Christian because we find in the Bible uh, the speech concerning austerity. And that's something we need to have working in our lives. It'll help us with financial stewardship, but it's something you have to learn. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of self-denial. You actually have to harness your flesh. If you didn't know, something is always going to be a, uh, a master over you. You're always going to be a slave to something. You can be a slave to Jesus Christ, which is what we want. You can be a slave to flesh, which is what we don't want. You can be a slave to public opinion, which we don't want. You can be a slave to uh, weird desires, which we don't want. You can be a slave to your buddy, which we don't want. We want to be a servant and a slave to Jesus Christ. And so one of the areas our flesh breaks out in is lust of stuff and wasting money. It takes a lot of work to have a budget. It takes a lot of work to live beneath your means. It takes a lot of work to put a knife to you, the throat of appetite. When you see something you never knew existed before today, and by the time you go to sleep tonight, you can't live without it. But you didn't know it never existed until today. And my wife, I, I tease my wife from time to time, and I say, honey, we're good. There's nothing else I want right now. And she'll say, right now. I said, yeah, because you never know what they're going to come out with tomorrow. Or of all the hobbies I have, uh, there's always something else I might figure out I need. I, do, well, I don't do a lot, so much anymore, but I still do a lot of backpacking. And I, every time I go up to the, uh, the backpacking store, I always make the same joke with the guys. And I always say, I just never knew there was so much stuff I didn't have that I need. I'm just consumed of lust walking in your store. And they always laugh because they're backpacking gearheads and they get the same thing. They made the flashlight smaller. They made the stove smaller. They made it run on nine more fuels instead of just seven fuels because you never know when you got to use raccoon blood to run a backpacking <laughs> stove or something, which means now I got to have a raccoon trap and it's got to be portable to fit in my backpack in case I run out of fuel five miles from the car. <laughs> so if it, this thing takes discipline, it takes you realizing you don't have to have another video game. You don't have to have cable. We're talking about it. We said last week, we kind of concluded by saying, if you can't afford to tithe, I would say this, if you're on government assistance, nothing wrong with government assistance as a stepping stone, not as a foundation. Government assistance is a stepping stone. It was never meant, not by any of our presidents who helped establish it, it was never meant to be the foundation upon which you built your life. But we have a whole generation now of young people who they, their ambition is to stay on welfare and government surplus the rest of life. What a, what a shallow life that I have to work hard. I actually, as a self-employed citizen, I'm double taxed, that I have to work hard so you don't. That's not biblical. Bible says in the New Testament, if you don't work, you should go hungry. 
And when you get hungry enough, you'll go back to work. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with this uh, hand out, uh, excuse me, so that it becomes a hand up. But if you're on government assistance, you can't afford a pet. Amen. Amen. If you're on government assistance, you can't afford an Xbox or a PlayStation. I would add you don't deserve one. If you're on government assistance, you don't need to be buying bottled water. You get it free out of your tap that I pay for. If you're on government assistance, you don't need an iPhone. You can get an Obama phone. That ought to hit somebody to think you're dependent upon Obama. That's your daddy. Uh, well, okay, let's, um, let's get to our curriculum. <laughs> Austerity, part one. There ought to be a hundred parts to this. The opposite of prodigality is austerity. We covered austerity for the, excuse me, prodigality for the previous two Sunday schools. Prodigality is wasting money, wasting it like a fool, lavish living, lavish spending when you can't afford it. And that's why you ought to be developing a heart for a budget. How do you know what you can and can't afford without a budget? How do you know what kind of car you can and can't afford without a budget? How do you know what kind of apartment or home you can or can't afford without a budget? You, you can't. You cannot be a, a, a mature, responsible citizen without a budget. No business can grow without a budget. Uh, no church can, can succeed without a budget. And that's why you've got to get a budget. And at some point, one of our quotes we've been saying every Sunday school is at some point, you've got to master money if you're going to go anywhere in life. Did you know that there are people in our society today that live and die on welfare? They live and die on WIC. They live and die in government-subsidized housing. What, is that, what kind of testimony is it that you, you intend to live and die without contributing anything to not only society, but the kingdom of heaven? I am all for it being a step up, but you don't build your retirement center when you're 24 on government subsidy. Amen. All right, I can see where we're kind of leaning this morning. I'm going to try to lean the other way because I want to teach knowing full well this message will go on and on on the internet and in our pod school. So the opposite of prodigality is austerity. Prodigality is wasting money. Austerity is being severe and strict with it. And every one of us needs to have some austerity working in our life. Stewardship requires an austere attitude. So if you're going to be a good steward, you have to be very disciplined. You have to have some austerity about you. And we're going to define that so we understand what we're talking about. Uh, Luke 19, 20 through 22 and 24. Here's a very famous parable. And another came, speaking the parable of the stewards and their talents. Stewards, the stewards, the stewards and the talents were the money they were given. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is your pound which I have kept laid up in a napkin. That means, a, you know, a shilling, pound being British money, King James translation. Here's the money you gave me, the one dollar you gave me, laid up in a napkin. For I feared you, because thou art an austere man. I want to stop right there and point out that it says very clearly, Jesus Christ is an austere man. God Almighty, Jehovah, the Lord of Israel, in this parable is revealed to be an austere man. Now we know he's very liberal in his giving and his distribution. We know he's very generous. Generous. We know that we're commanded to be liberal. But we also see another aspect and facet of him is austerity. 
He said, I knew that thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that, the, that thou laidest not down, and you reap what you did not sow. And the, the master said unto him, out of your own mouth will I judge you. You know God judges people? One of the lamest things our modern society likes to say is, well, they're just so judgmental. Well, aren't you being judgmental by calling them judgmental hypocrite? And I like to point out, God is judgmental, as is every adjective and adverb in the English dictionary. We have become such a ignorant, uneducated, shiftless society by the hand of the devil and hippieism and higher education. It's so judgmental. That church is so judgmental. Jesus Christ said, I will judge you. He said that to his own servant. Well, if I judge you, I'm just being like my savior. I don't judge you because I hate you. I judge you because I love you and I want you to do better. Doesn't the boss judge you and want better out of you? Don't your parents judge you and so you can get better? We're teaching Lydia how to make her bed right now. Do you know that we judge her every time she does? Do you know you can teach a three-year-old how to make a bed if you'd actually focus on training them? And they're... Three-year-olds are sharp if you'll teach them to be sharp. And so I go in there like this mean old evil dictator, and I say, honey, that's good, but let's, let's tuck this in here. The pillows go there. And that's just mean and hateful and, and so vindictive and so oppressive. I'm a judgmental, hateful father. No, of course not. I'm a good dad teaching my girl how not to be on welfare the rest of her life. The Lord said, I will judge you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. He doesn't just say, I'm gonna judge you. He calls him a name. <laughs> he called me a name. Yeah, he is the righteous judge. This is all has to do with money. Notice you can be wicked in how you use money or how you don't use it, or how you don't properly handle it. And the servant never said, you're being mean, you're calling me names. We're such a soft sissy society. The Bible's full of lots of names it calls us, and they're always good names, but they're always true because God speaks nothing but truth. Really, if we're Christians, we ought to be a lot tougher on our skin than we are. Soft hearts, but tough skin. We're quite the opposite in America. We have hard, stony hearts and paper-thin sissy skin. We ought to have skin like a rhino's knee or an elephant's rump. I have a pair of elephant skin shoes. They were custom made for me in Zimbabwe and they have tires for the soles. And the Zimbabweans told me, they said, Pastor Greece, you will be old and your feet will wear out before those shoes will wear out. <laughs> 50,000 mile radials on the bottom of my feet with elephant skin on the top. Yeah. I'll go to heaven before those shoes go to the dump. We ought to have skin like an elephant, but a heart as soft as a baby's bottom. That's how we're supposed to be. But we get so offended at preaching. We get so offended at truth. And all we really have is a hard, bitter heart that can't ever be pacified, pleased, or made to smile. Has to be coddled. If you have to be coddled as a Christian, you may not be one. I love what Brother Hagin used to say. If you're born again, you can handle it. If you can't handle it, you might not be born again but you can be. Amen. Whoever this is messing up my sermon and my Sunday school, I wish you would stop. Just repent so I can go on with my prescribed curriculum that I wrote 
five years ago. All right. You wicked servant, you knew that I was an austere man. We're demonstrating that this morning, that we have got to know God is austere. And when he gives us something, in this case, one pound or one dollar, he's going to judge us for what we do with it. You knew I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that has 10 pounds. Now, does that sound like welfare? That is anti-welfare. That's gospel. Welfare says we take from you that has 10 pounds because you don't really need that much. You don't deserve that much. And we're going to give it to little Miss Shiftless over here who has learned that she can have 19 babies and get more money for each kid. How is that not slavery? The more people you own, the more money you get. How is that not modern slavery, federally endorsed? White or black, I don't care what color you are. Dumb knows no color. Dumb is very unbiased. It is no respecter of persons. He said, I'm going to take from you that has one pound because you're not good with it. And I'm going to give it to the guy that's good with it. And again, when we talk about financial parity or solving poverty through parity, the word parity means wealth redistribution. That's one of the stupidest philosophies a liberal, elitist, secular humanist economist could ever come up with. Because even if we redistributed everybody's wealth and that tonight every one of us has $20 million in the bank, by the end of this week, I'm going to be probably close to where I am today. And the billionaires will be back being billionaires by Friday. Billionaires are billionaires because they know what to do with money. And poor people are poor because they don't know what to do with money. And so then five years ago, we need to redistribute the wealth. You could reset that stupid clock every month and it would still cycle back through. Because poverty or riches has nothing to do with distribution or equality. It has to do with a work ethic and knowing how to handle money. I would say it doesn't even fully have anything to do with the blessing of the Lord because how many heathens going to hell are wealthy and how many rich, excuse me, how many born again people who serve God don't know how to handle money, therefore don't have any. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you're immune to laziness. And just because you're a heathen doesn't mean you don't have a work ethic or wisdom about you. Amen. This is a parable concerning stewardship. In this Good stewardship is rewarded with promotion. Good stewardship is rewarded with promotion. The man who was faithful over money was given authority over several cities. How do you like that? You handle $20,000 a year well in the millennial kingdom, you can run 20 cities. That's pretty good. The poor steward, however, is called a wicked servant. Hear that very clearly, church. The poor steward, the person who does not master money, the person who does not know how to make a budget, who does not know how to increase what God has given them, their talents, their abilities, their wealth, their finances, their income, their business, they're called a wicked servant because they're not benefiting the master. They're not benefiting the, the domain that they're serving. It's called wickedness. Now, that's foreign for us because we think wickedness is just sleeping together. We think wickedness is shacking up. We think wickedness is alcoholism. Wickedness is marijuana. Wickedness is drugs. Wickedness is homosexuality or pedophilia or what have you. The Bible says you don't handle God's money. It's a wicked servant. Twisted. And so that's why this is so critical. 
The poor steward was cast into outer darkness when it was all said and done. Now, I'm not saying you die broke, you're going to hell by no means at all. But this parable is given to demonstrate God's heart on matters. He uses natural allegory to demonstrate his heart and his concern for things, how he feels about things. God does not give you $5 to go blow any way you want to. He gives you $5 so you'll ask him, what do you want me to do with those $5? And if the Lord says, bless yourself, then you do. And if he says, give it back to the kingdom, that's what you do. We, we are too possessional as Americans. We think it's mine. I made this money. No, the Lord permitted you to. And if you think any other way, you're more American than you are Christian. The Lord allowed you to breathe, to bring oxygen into your blood, to strengthen your muscles so you could stand and do that job. The Lord allowed you to get that job. The Lord allowed you to take home that much money. The Lord allowed you to have that vehicle. It's all the Lord's permissivity. You can't say you're self-made. Therefore, the paycheck should not be spent before you make it on yourself. Before the paycheck comes, you should be saying, Lord, what would you have me do with this? For some of us, it might be you should have a budget. And then you should tithe because it's the Lord's. The tithe is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to somebody else. We've got to learn what the heart of our God is concerning stewardship and austerity if we're ever going to advance. As a pastor, I cannot stand to see people stay the same or not grow. When you're a parent, you know, you, you talk about your kids just grow so fast. They just grow so fast. So your heart kind of says, oh, they grow so fast. But on the other side, you say, well, thank God they're not stunted. Thank God they're not pygmies. Thank God they're not, you know, birth defective. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart to know that I will pastor some people 20 and 30 years and they'll never go anywhere. And that's because they refuse to learn. And not just learn, but to apply and make the difference. But that's the truth of the kingdom. As much as we preach and pastor and teach and pray and counsel and advise and help, not everybody's going to advance because not everybody wants to. Because though you may not be on welfare, your heart is. Spiritual welfare. You want somebody else to carry you and do for you. But every one of us ought to advance in this kingdom. And part of that is financial stewardship. This parable also reveals an aspect of our Lord a few Christians know about. The Lord is called austere. In the parable, the Lord acknowledges this description and also calls himself an austere man. He says, you're right. I am an austere man. You knew that I was. You knew my habit, my ability to get blood out of a turnip, water out of a rock, worship out of stones, and he says, so you should have at least just taken that talent, that dollar, and put it with the money changer so I could have at least had interest. We are to be like our Savior. So what does it mean to be austere? So here's your definition, austere. Strict in business affairs. You may not have a business, but you can run your home as one. Every one of us ought to be strict in how we run our home. Your house should not be a dump seven days a week. Amen. Now, my, my sister-in-law jokes about, she says, Our, my house is clean twice a day before the kids get up and after they go to bed. <laughs> and in between kids. But kids can only do so much damage. And if you're smart, you'll teach them how to pick up after themselves. Now, again, to brag on my daughter, 
she picks up after herself with a little bit of encouragement, but she knows where everything goes. Uh, we taught Lydia when she was about 18 months old how to put dishes up. And she loves helping. It's in kids to help. Amen. See, might as well take advantage of it rather than kind of teach it out of them. Can I do something? If my girl asks me if I can do something, I try to make up something. Because I want her to know that she can always help daddy or mommy. Amen. Your car ought not always look like it was just, I don't know, rescued from the hood. And somebody dumped a trash can full of trash in the back of it. You should vacuum your car. This is stewardship. Strict in business affairs. You may not own a business, but you are to run your life as a business. Somebody was telling me, the company boss, he bought all of his men company trucks. And he said, all right, gentlemen, I have bought all of you company trucks. This was the last few weeks ago. He said, I expect every one of you to take care of it like you would take care of your own vehicle. Wrong thing to say. Middle Tennesseans. And so after like a month, they were all trash. He called a meeting, said, new rules. You're to all take care of your truck like I take care of my truck. Amen. Because if you don't take care of it, who's going to buy you another one? MasterCard? You'll be broke your whole life. It means expecting a return on investment. So there's an expectation that comes with austerity. You don't just waste time. You're not just doing things flippantly. You're expecting a full return. Whatever you do, you expect it to benefit you. You're not wasting time there. You're expecting a return on, on cutting your grass. You're expecting a return on home construction. You're expecting a return on investing in your kids. You're expecting a return on investing in your employees. There's an eager expectation. Austerity is not laziness. It can't afford to be. It has a demand. Man. And this is a faith. This is the voice of the heart saying, I expect, I expect, I expect. This master in the parable came back and he fully expected all of his stewards to bring increase to him. There was an expectation. I'm going to give each to them according to their several ability. When I come back, even though the one with one doesn't have, doesn't have the ability of the guy I give five to, he at least has the ability to double one. The Lord has this expectation and this faith that we're going to produce something for him. And we should. Anything he gives us, we ought to be producing something out of, for the kingdom out of it. And if you're austere, you're going to buy things you expect to work. You're going to buy things you expect to last. You're going to take care of things. You're going to teach your kids how to be like the Lord Jesus because you're learning how to be like the Lord Jesus. It affects everything in your life. It means severe or strict in manner attitude or appearance it is perfectly biblical to be strict now and again in this post hippie modern era nobody wants to be strict man just chill out that's so condemning you're so judgmental man smoke another pot joint smoke some more weed chill man that person goes nowhere their whole life except in their volkswagen hippie bus but it's biblical to be strict to expect things to have a, an air of excellence about you. To put a demand on a situation. Faith puts a demand on things. If you go through life and just want to float, you'll never go anywhere. You'll be tossed and driven of the winds. We as Christians, we, we're not driven of anything. We're led by God and we, we follow his commands. It means having no comforts or luxuries when necessary. So austerity knows when to go without stuff. You don't need another outfit if you owe MasterCard. You don't need another toy if you still owe MasterCard. If you're on welfare, WIC, government subsidy, what have you, you don't deserve a smartphone. You can't afford it. It did. 
Furthermore, your kids don't need them. This is where I always point out that I was 25 and working for an international engineering firm before I ever had my first cell phone. And I refused to pay for it. I made my boss, the Pakistani Muslim, and reimburse me for every phone call and every minute I made. And I line itemized that thing every month and I charged him 33 cents a minute. I made money off of him. Because <laughs> I'm not paying for a cell phone. I don't want one. I don't need one. And nowadays, our 10-year-olds have to have them with the data package. That's a foolish parent, especially if you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford rent, you can't afford the mortgage, you barely scrape them by. If money's tight, you got to cut something. Austerity will have no comforts or luxuries when necessary. Nothing says you have to have a vacation every year. Let me harp on this. I harp on this every time I teach on this. I'm working on a curriculum actually on how to take a vacation. I've actually just ordered a book called The History of the American Vacation. Okay, there's a lot of stuff there that we're just absolutely clueless about. Vacations didn't come about to the 1860s. And only the elite took them for health purposes because the stress of the cities and the smog of the cities was killing them. If you can't afford to tithe, you don't need a vacation. If you're on WIC, you don't need a vacation. You need a job. J-O-B. Sp spell it with me. J-O-B. Job. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and maybe it might take work, but as long as you're on the government milk train, you might as well get some loans and go to college. If you, I mean, if you're going to be taking money from somebody, you might as well do something with it rather than feed your face. Amen. So there's nothing that says you have to have a vacation every year. The average vacation is about $2,000. We're going to put that on MasterCard at 18.5% interest when you already owe MasterCard. That doesn't make any sense. This is not austerity. This is prodigality, lavishing things on yourself you can't afford to because you're selfish and you think you deserve it. You only think you deserve it because you watch too much television on the flat panel, welfare bought you. Or debt did. I'm preaching really good to a handful of saints that seem meager and mild this morning. <laughs> All right, just trying to help people get a leg up in life, not another handout. Leg up. But I can't do it for you. All I can do is teach you. If you don't do what we teach, you'll be here 10 years from now. And you'll say, well, I've heard that sermon so many times. Pastor Chris teaches uh, financial stewardship every year. It's so boring. I would say, no, you're so lazy. You've gone nowhere with every tool in your chest to go somewhere. Amen. It means to uh, design to reduce a budget deficit. Design to reduce a budget deficit. When you're austere, when something is an austere measure, it's designed to reduce a budget deficit. But you can only reduce a budget deficit when you have a budget to know where you're deficient. I hate deficiencies in my life or anywhere. So you have to have a budget to know where a budget deficit is before you can even be austere in the first place. I commend the European Union for practicing austere measures. Let those hippie 20-year-olds who contribute nothing to their society protest and burn cars all day long. The government is wise for trying to reduce their budget deficits. Amen. I wish we would protest their lack, our government's lack of austerity measures but we're too busy wasting money ourselves we could probably realize we shouldn't be judging them. What's the pot calling the kettle black for? 
And uh, finally, it means to stop the bleeding. Mr. Jeff Harris pointed this out to me. The, Greek, the English word is an astringent, and that comes from the Greek word austere, austeros, to stop the bleeding. And we talk about budgets bleeding, businesses are bleeding. I follow stocks a little bit and uh, some of the more popular financial articles, but they talk about this, the third quarter, they really bled. This quarter, they're, they're, they're bleeding severely. They're bleeding to overseas. They're bleeding to supply chain. And so it's an astringent, something like an aftershave. If you cut yourself shaving, you, you slap on aftershave, which has alcohol in it, which is an astringent. It is a, uh, it's a cooling agent, so it causes your blood vessels to constrict, stops the bleeding. That's an astringent. When you are austere, you stop the bleeding anywhere in your life. All right. So let's look at these. Strict in business affairs. A good steward will be strict, disciplined, and even shrewd and astute in their business affairs. That can be your family. Again, don't think you have to have a business. How you run your home. If you're a stay-at-home mom, which is probably one of the most powerful positions in the earth, the stay-at-home mom, you have to be an austere woman as a stay-at-home mom. Shrewd is a good word. To be shrewd means having sharp powers of judgment. Somehow or another, we thought shrewd was a dirty word. But to be shrewd means having sharp powers of judgment. Who wants to be dull? Anybody, your aim in life is to be dull? To have dull judgment? I don't think so. An astute means having or showing an ability to accurately assess situations or people and then turn it to your advantage. That sounds pretty awesome. So, in your affairs as a Christian, because every one of us here have affairs of life, we're to be both astute and shrewd. Be astute. Uh, moms are a wonderful thing to watch. They go shopping. They know how to get the best deals. That's austerity. They know how to make things last longer. That's austerity. They, now with Pinterest and all these tools on the internet, you can look at how to make your own baby food to save money to pinch pennies. Thank God for Proverbs 31 women at the house helping the men make their money go further. Amen. Amen. Of course, if you're all you're worried about is fashion and keeping up with your friends, you're not going to be a very good mom. I'm going to say that again. That felt good to say that because I knew it hit somebody. Uh, if all you're concerned about with is keeping up with your friends and fashion, you're not going to be a good mom or homemaker or spouse. You have to decide what you're going to serve. What's important to you, your family or youthful lust? Remember last week, we looked at prodigality. Proverbs says, he that keeps companies with harlots will squander his money. It doesn't mean you sleep with the harlot. It doesn't mean you are a harlot or a prostitute, just someone who whores around. It says, if you keep company with them, you're going to waste money. They're going to teach you how to waste money too. So you have to decide what's more important to you, your children, your family, your legacy, or keeping up with the Joneses that are just going to go to hell. When you chase to keep up with the Joneses, all that means is you get to hell at the same time. Number two, austere means expecting a return on investments. A good steward always expects a return on their investments. They do not look to waste money or lose money. Many Christians waste money and don't even think anything about it. It takes a little bit of work to research prices, but you ought to do something. Put the time in. Put the legwork in. Make sure you get it right. Sit down and instead of reading Facebook, research something. Number three, strict in manner, attitude, or appearance. I like that. Severe or strict in manner, attitude, or appearance. An austere person isn't a goofball. Some people are just goofy all the time. Uh, it's like, it's like grown-up world is still playground to them. It's going to be hard to be austere when you're a goofball. 
Uh, all, my, all my employers were very successful. They were very hard to cut up with because they were too busy worried about the production of the zinc mine, the, uh, the overhead of the, of the project we were working on or what we were going to do about a drill rig. They were too busy worried about things or thinking about things to be a goofball all the time. Austerity is not a goofball. An austere person has some professionalism about them. They know when to be serious and they know when to relax. Not that you have to be tight all the time, but you can't be goofy all the time either. You cannot be goofy and relaxed all the time. You won't ever get anything accomplished. Number four, having no comforts or luxuries when necessary. Many Christians lavish stuff upon themselves even when they cannot afford it. This is being a prodigal. And MasterCard loves this. So does Visa. So does American Express. So does Capital One. Capital One ought to say, what's in your wallet? Nothing. There are seasons when you must do without. Austerity will go without stuff when necessary. I always tell the story of my dear, dear friend whose wife left him and divorced him. And one of the stupid things she put in the divorce papers, because I walked my friend through his divorce, was that we've been married seven years and only had one vacation. To which I said, you're an idiot. You're a twit. You're an unthankful, unholy, wretched woman. Your husband's been trying to pay off school debt and care for two mouths while you're a stay-at-home mom lollygagging and frolicking, and you want to know why you don't have a vacation? Because he's trying to be a good husband. You're Seven years, you're what, 28? And you haven't had but one vacation in your 20s? Oh my gosh, it's like ISIS invaded your home and cutting heads off of kids. What, what a horrible thing. And that was one of her reasons for divorce. What an American woman. What an American woman. Oh, well. Number five, designed to reduce a budget deficit. Austerity knows when there is a budget deficit because austerity lives by a budget. Many Christians don't know when they have a budget deficit because they don't have a budget. A budget is critical if you want to be a good steward. Austerity will then move to reduce the deficit by cutting spending, increasing income, selling something, prayer, or any combination of the aforementioned. Austerity is going to cut some spending, do some extra overtime, maybe sell something, pray, speak to it, maybe give it an offering and believe God and maybe everything all at once. But as we've been quoting here lately, if you change nothing, nothing changes. Do you know why our lives aren't changing? Because we're changing nothing. I, I really think we expect God to carry us on his magic carpet ride. That's a pot smoking song, isn't it, Wendell? I mean, who? <laughs> yeah, magic carpet ride. What is that talking about? Man, we're flying now. The Lord's carrying us. You know, he did tell Israel, I carried you out on we eagle's wings. Yet they walked. So we know it's an expression. He allowed them to fly from the hands of Egypt, but they walked. They carried their stuff. They had to get to step in with the sea in front of them and an army behind them. He said, I carried you on eagle's wings, but who did the walking? Israel. He wants to carry us and bless us, but who has to do the work? We do. All right. Stop the bleeding. We get our English word astringent from the Greek word for austere, austeros. In this scripture, the word means to stop the bleeding. A financial loss is also called bleeding. 
A good steward always looks to stop the bleeding of finances. You know, there's these uh, check into cash places and there's all sorts of political speech, even from liberals and humanists that talk about how unfair and wicked those places are because people who have a budget don't go to check into cash. And so if you're bleeding financially, there are sharks in the water. Now, I don't know if anybody here has ever been to a check into cash place, but to visit the place of a, called a check in the cash where you, you know, sign over your paycheck for a loan, paid, a paycheck loan as they're called, may be one of the stupidest things you can do as a financial disciplinarian other than just tearing up your check and burning it and just going hungry. If you're bleeding, there are always sharks that will come make money off of you. That's why the credit cards thrive. Most folks who are in debt are in debt because they cannot handle money, but the credit card company says, you're who we want. Credit card companies hate people like my wife. They hate people like my church when we pay things off every month. Now, they like people like me a little bit because I, I can bleed a little bit and pay it off down the road a little bit. But if you're bleeding, there's always somebody come and make, make merchandise of you because they know you're a sucker and you're not disciplined enough to stop. So you've got to stop the bleeding. Now, in business, sometimes business requires money to make money, but that's all accounted for and you've got the money worked out. You know you got to borrow 100 grand to buy a track hoe because your last track hoe gave up the ghost and it's a used track hoe, but you're buying one and you have the money that can make money for it and you'll have this thing paid off in a year. That's business. That's not foolishness. But now I've never seen a successful business person have to go to a check in the cash for a business loan. Amen. All right. Austerity takes diligence. We're running out of time here, so let's run through this. It should be evident austerity takes diligence and hard work. If you don't look after your things, no one else will. If you don't clean your car, who's going to clean your car? If you don't clean your carpet, who's going to clean your carpet? If you don't balance your budget, you know, nobody ever asks me, Pastor Chris, does your church have a budget? Pastor Chris, does your family have a budget? Nobody asks me that. It's my business. 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 I should be good at it. In the following Proverbs, the word for diligence in the original Hebrew means eager, dedicated, and sedulous from the Latin word for zeal or zealous. We must be zealous over our substance to take care of it. So let's run through some Proverbs. Chapter 10, verse 4. He becomes poor that deals with the lazy slack hand. If you want to know why you're poor, Proverbs says one of the reasons may be your laziness. But the hand of the diligent, the hand of the zealous, the hand of the dedicated, the hand of the eager maketh rich. If you're excited about what you do, if you're excited about a budget, you'll become wealthier. You may not be a multimillionaire in a year, but you'll have more than you did when you started. Slackers become poor. Slackers become poor. Slackers become poor. Diligence brings prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. That means be in charge, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Uh, I think the NIV is one of my favorite translations on this verse. It says that the hand of the diligent shall rule, but the poor, the lazy, shall earn slave wages. You'll live at minimum wage the rest of your life. My first job was at a vegetable farm in Auburn, Washington, making four and a quarter an hour. Them's slave wages. <laughs> What's, what's minimum wage now? Like seven and something, seven seventy-five, seven twenty-five. Don't be there the rest of your life. No, 
Because even if you're working at McDonald's, and I teach this, I got this from a great preacher, even if you work at McDonald's starting off at minimum wage, you should work so hard that they make you shift manager, line manager. Then, then within six months, if you're a hard worker in this region, you just have to breathe a little faster and stay a little five minutes longer. They'll make you assistant store manager in a year. And we, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel in this day and age, especially in our region. If you just work a little harder, you can make it. And, if, and then all of a sudden, you're not making $7.75 or seven and a quarter more. You're making a, a, a living wage. You're making a, a salary. But if you're just lazy and bellyache about flipping burgers, you're going to stay there. And you may die there. Slothful people get taxed financially. Diligent people get promoted to leadership and run the show. Diligent people get promoted. Lazy people never do. Proverbs 12, 27, the NIV. The lazy does not roast any game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. Uh, slothful people don't even appreciate the dinner they eat. They bellyache and complain. Diligent people treat all their stuff as precious and valuable. We take care of everything in my home. We take care of everything in this church. I wish my church would take care of everything in this church, especially my department heads and my leaders, because this is what God has given us. We are thankful for it. This is not the biggest church in town or the country, but it's our church. We take care of everything as if it was Jesus Christ's, because it is. When we break something, we fix it. When we tear something, we repair it. We don't just treat stuff around here like it's a jungle gym. It's the house of God. When we come to church, it ought to change our life and cause us to take a step up. We live in the holler, but we're not hollered people. We may live in mobile homes, but we're not trailer people. We may live in the poorest part of Tennessee, but we don't have to act like it. Cookville is the seventh poorest city in the nation. That's a mindset issue. It isn't for lack of jobs. How many massive factories, Cummins Filtration, TRW, I mean, all these big factories that are here because we're a right-to-work state and not a stupid union state. It's not for lack of money. It's a philosophy and a mindset. All right. Don't worship where you live. It ain't worth bragging about. Worship Jesus. I love Cookville. This is my home. But as I point out, the only thing here worth bragging about is all God made. The people, the woods, the caves, the wildlife, the waterfalls, everything else here, the culture here can be flushed down the toilet and started over again. Amen. We don't get to do that, so we have to change it by the preaching of the gospel. Proverbs 13, 4. Well, we're hitting pretty hard this morning. I think it's ought to tell us how much God wants to prosper us. Isn't it amazing God is always frustrated because his people don't want better? Wouldn't it frustrate you if you want to do better for your kids, but they refuse to have it? Yeah. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Sluggards hope and want, but have nothing. Diligent people are made fat with their desires. Proverbs 22, 29, seest thou man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before obscure men. Mean doesn't mean cruel. It means obscure. Mean, low, low means. When you're diligent in your work, you're not just going to live at the bottom of the food chain your whole life. When you're diligent in your work, you're going to rise to great occasion. You'll get to meet the boss and the, and the vice president. You might get to appear before a city hall or something. If you'll be diligent, you won't just live and die among the masses. But most people are refusing to do what's hard and necessary, and therefore they live and die, and they're just counted among the masses 
of society. I don't believe Jesus Christ wants anybody in his kingdom to be a mass. He has the ability to promote every one of us to greater things than our region and our family could ever dream. But we have to desire it and we have to want to do better. Diligent people see promotion and social elevation. They come up in life. They don't stay at the bottom of Possum Holler's food chain. Now, Dr. Sumrall made the quote where I took our term Possum Holler. He said, some people live, are born in Raccoon Holler and they never leave there. We're not of those that are going to live and die in Possum Holler. I I said, when I heard him preach that, I said, "Uh, I live in less than Raccoon Holler. My region is Possum Holler. What's less than a raccoon? A possum. And we're changing that. Maybe before long we can get promoted to Raccoon Holler. Maybe Badger Holler. Woodchuck Holler. Gopher Holler. Anything but Possum Holler. Greasy, hairless tail, beady eyes, play dead all the time, lay around all the time, lay around all the time lay around all the time, hang out all the time, possum holler. Uh, If you'll serve God, you don't have to live and die here. You can live here and die here, but you don't have to be like you're from here. You can be changed. There's a pride in our region, if you didn't know, that's proud of the ignorance that's here. Ignorance is nothing worth bragging about. Proverbs 27, 23, be thou diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well and set your heart to your herds. We are commanded to be diligent and know the condition of our stuff family, home, vehicles, bank accounts, physical bodies, etc. In order to faithfully do this, we must set our hearts on these things. Our society today in America comes up with a new thing every day to rob your time, attention, and money. You're going to have to put a knife to your throat if you be a person given an appetite so that you have the time to care about your family and your children and your bank account. Having a budget takes time every day takes time every week. We don't ever seem to have a problem finding time for Facebook and finding time for Netflix and finding time to take another nap. But that will amount to poverty in your life. If you're going to go anywhere, you've got to be diligent and you've got to learn austerity. May we, get, may we work to get a heart for austerity. It will cause us to prosper, increase, and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no get-rich-quick scheme in Christ Jesus. And don't think you're going to marry out of it. Amen. Don't be thinking you're going to have sugar daddy come along because if he's austere, he's not going to like what he sees when he starts dating you. Amen. Or her if she's, you know, sugar mama. Father, I thank you for blessing our time this morning. Lord, it seems to me you're very determined to teach us how to prosper and to be diligent in this global land of opportunity. You allow us to live in the wealthiest nation the human race has ever known. And all the dreams, ambitions, and opportunities are available to every one of us if we'd only be diligent and austere enough to get up and do something about it. Father, may your will be done in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.